0: Good morning, welcome to City Church. My name's James uh, and uh, we're gonna be getting into the Bible this morning, which hopefully you'll be pleased to hear. Maybe you're not pleased to hear that, I don't know. Um, But that's what we're doing. Uh, And you have to do the teacher thing where you just stop and wait (laughs) and everyone's ready. Um, well, it's great to be back with you. I've been away for the last couple of weeks, but it's, been, it's really good to be back in Bristol. Uh, and I want to give you uh, just a little history lesson. I, just, I used to be a history teacher before I came on staff here at City Church. Uh, and so I know that you're all desperate to know something about the Tower of Pisa. I know that that's what you came burning with. Tell us about the Tower of Pisa. Uh, and the Leaning Tower of Pisa is one of the world's most famous attractions and tourist destinations. The iconic building, which started being constructed in 1173, and actually went through the hands of four different architects over 200 years. Anyone, did anyone know that? Good, then, you don't, then I don't need to fact check what I'm about to say. You just take it as gospel. Uh, it, it went through the hands of four different architects spanning 200 years and it was eventually completed in 1372. But thanks to the, the soft ground, it, it began to lean and by the time its builders got to the third story in 1178 uh, and construction and building continued, they already realized that it was starting to lean. And over the next 800 years, it became clear that the 55-meter tower wasn't just leaning, but it was actually falling at a rate of one to two millimeters per year. Today, the leaning tower of Pisa is, is more than five meters off perpendicular, and efforts have been made over the years to ensure its stability for the future. So, just 20 years ago, restoration work was undertaken when the tower was leaning at its its acutest angle. But with highly skilled engineers and architects, the tower was believed to have been saved, but only for another 200 years. In one sense, you could say, well, the fact that the tower is leaning is why it's become a world-renowned destination. But more significantly, because of where the tower was built, because of the ground that it was built on, and the lack of foundations and the soft ground, the tower won't actually stand the test of time. Its beauty, its fame, its uniqueness doesn't cover up the fact that eventually it will fall. They could, that's the problem, Chris. They can't straighten it. And if we're not careful, our lives can look a bit like that tower. We can live our lives in a way that just focuses on what is visible, focusing on getting our lives together. We convince ourselves of this middle-class dream of going to university, getting the house, getting the car, getting married, having kids, and so on, but we can forget what we're actually building our lives on. We can neglect the foundations. We can drift. We can lean, we can bend away from the intended design. I wonder if you've ever met someone or you know someone that you really look up to. Think of that person who has been a Christian perhaps for many, many years. I've always been interested to hear their stories And hear what it is that has sustained them in their walk with God. Some of these people have been Christians for decades, given their lives to Jesus. And I've always loved hearing their responses to that. What is it that kept you going in your walk with God? Just over the summer, I was having that conversation with someone uh, in my home church, or in my church back where my parents live, and what they said was this, I've had to learn how to build my life on the rock. I've had to learn how to build my life on the rock. So this morning, I've got one question for you. What are you building your life on? What are the foundations of your life? If we were to lift up the house of your life, what would we see underneath? You know, Jesus saw the importance of this. In fact, what you're building your life on was so critical to Jesus that he ended his most famous sermon recorded in the Bible on that very theme, on the Sermon of the Mount. And he shared these words in Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 to 29. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine And it fell with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. So the question for Jesus was what is the foundation of your life? What are you building on? And let me just make a few comments about those verses before we look at how we actually go and live our lives, how we actually go and build our lives on the rock. Firstly, the premise of the whole story is that we're all actually building something. We're all building something. Both the men in the story are building a house. And as we live out our lives, whether we are aware of it or not, we are all building something. There's no choice in the matter. It's not an if you are building something. We are all doing that. We are all constructing our lives in a certain way. Some people are are very careful about how they build their lives. They're planners. They're deliberate. They're exact. They know exactly. They've got the five, the 10-year plan. They know what they're doing. There are no surprises, hopefully. For others, like me, it's a bit more haphazard. (laughs) You just kind of see where the day takes you. You make impulsive decisions. You don't necessarily have a picture in your head of what you're building. But nevertheless, through the unplanned and the spontaneous, your life does take a certain shape. Anyone else with me? Anyone a bit haphazard? There we go. I'm not alone. That's good. Maybe we should pray at the end together (laughs) for the ministry at the end. Either way, we are all building and Jesus in the story is clear about it. But in the story, rather than focusing on what is being built or the details of the houses, Jesus focuses on what the houses are being built on. You see, for all intents and purposes, there are no defining features between the two houses. It doesn't say that one had a lovely lawn and a path going up to a lovely red door and the bay windows and the swimming pool out the back, and then the other one is just this rickety old shack It doesn't talk about that. It says there were two houses being built, one by a wise man, one by a foolish man. One house was built on the rock, the other was built on the sand. They could have looked exactly the same on the outside. You see, Jesus, in telling the story, was trying to demonstrate that he is far more interested and concerned with what the house is being built on Instead of what it looks like, Jesus was interested in what lay below the surface. And yet, we seem to be far more concerned about what other people see of us, what we project. In our lives, we're far more conscious about how others view us, the image that we give. We like to think that people, we like people to think that we've got it all together. But God isn't interested in that. Jesus, in this story, isn't interested in that. There's that well known verse in the Old Testament where God says to Samuel, Man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. We can spend our lives attending to what is on the surface, what is above the surface. We neglect, and so often neglect, the foundations that it's built on. We can hide what is really going on in our hearts. With that said, the better the foundations are, the better the quality of the house is that you can build. He is interested in what is above ground, for your life to be strong and effective for the kingdom of God. And in order to do that, you need to have deep foundations. So we're going to look at how we ensure we have deep and strong foundations that is built on the rock that is Jesus. And so the two questions that we're going to look at is, what does it mean to build your life on the rock? And then how do we do that? So firstly, what does it mean to build your life on the rock? In its simplest form, to build your life on the rock is to make Jesus the foundation of your life. To build your life on Jesus is to make every decision in the light of who he is and his total, all-encompassing, authoritative claim on your life. When you became a Christian, you gave your life away. Your life isn't your own anymore. He has a claim on your life. And so to live and build your life on the rock is to give your life to him. It's to make every decision in the light of who he is and what he's done for you. His total, all-encompassing, authoritative claim upon your life. You see, to be a Christian isn't just a Sunday thing. It's not to turn up to church, to sing songs, give money, be nice to people. A Christian is someone who's understood something of the saving work of Jesus Christ. That in his death on the cross and his resurrection, there was a history-changing moment where death was defeated, forgiveness was given, The love of God was demonstrated and that this glorious future that we sing about and we talk about and we read about has been available to all of us because of who Jesus is and what he's done. This new relationship with God that can never be separated and that we will be with him forever. That's what it is to be a Christian, is to understand that, to know that deep in your heart to know the sacrifice of what Jesus gave to claim you. He gave his life. He gave everything. God gave what was most precious to him, and he left nothing behind. There was nothing else he could have given that was more precious than his own son. To be a Christian is to understand that and then to make every decision in the light of that, to worship him, to honor him in everything that we do. It affects everything, it affects our relationships, it affects our finances, our friendships, our families, our marriages, the way we work, the way we study, the way we think. To be a Christian is to to affect everything, not just what we do on a Sunday morning. That's what it means to build your life on Jesus, and yet as Jesus has depicted in the story, there is another way. There is another option. There is another way to live that isn't built on Jesus, and that is to build your house on the sand. And we have to recognize what the world offers to us. We have to wake up to that reality of what the world offers us. We've got to know the sand. We've got to know what we're tempted by. We've got to know what the world is trying to pull us towards. For some, it's, it's the pursuit of happiness and pleasure. For others, it's accruing wealth and, and financial security. But in the end, it's never enough. Those things will never rescue you. Those things will never satisfy you. They will never fulfill you. They will always leave you wanting. That sense of emptiness, no real hope. You know, Jesus talks a lot about greed in the Bible. <laughs> And that become that it can become we can become like hoarders, building our own little kingdoms here on earth, but in the end it's just sand. Or the idol of sex and sexual pleasure in our culture. It's just a culture that is never satisfied. The boundaries are constantly pushed, always wanting more. Here's what Proverbs five says. For the lips of the adulterous woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is bitter as gall, sharp as a double-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps lead straight to the grave. She gives no thought to the way of life. Her paths wander aimlessly, but she does not know it. It leads to nothing. All these things lead to nothing. All they lead to is decay and destruction. If you build your house on things like that, it's just going to wash away. So Jesus is giving a warning, and it's so important that we know what we're building on. We, we have to know the sand. We have to know what is solid and what is not. We have to know what is from God and what isn't. Jesus is saying, if you build your life on anything other than me then it will eventually tumble and fall. And while many of us will have made that decision to build our lives on the rock, sand does have a habit of getting everywhere. We all fall foul of it. We each have areas in our lives that are actually built on sand rather than rock. It's often not as clear-cut, is it? But to ensure that you build your life on the rock, you have to know where the sand is, and what can catch you out. So what, what is the sand for you? What are those things that draw you away from God? So we have the wise man and the foolish man, and they've chosen their plot of land, and they're building their houses, one on the rock, one on the sand, and as for us, we can go about living our lives, working away, making decisions, doing this, doing that, and it could appear that everything is in order. But then what happens next? The storms come. The rain came down, it says. The streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house. You know, even for the wise man, the storms came. Even for the man who wanted to honor God with everything that he had, the storms still came. It came to the foolish man as well, but it also came to the wise man. And the truth is is that the Christian life is not a walk in the park. It's the life of joy because of newfound relationship with him, the freedom that he gives in his grace to us, and yet there are still challenges and obstacles and grief and loss and suffering and uncertainty that come our way. The storms will come. That's what the story says. The storms are going to come. But the storms show whether you are building your life on the rock or whether you're building it on the sand. That's what the storms so often reveal you know even for for Sarah and I in the last two years we've gone through some challenges we've gone through some difficulties we've gone through some dark places uh, particularly around the pregnancy and even trying to get pregnant and praise God there is a baby on its way but but there was probably a year and a half maybe longer where we weren't sure exactly what was going on it was a dark place and actually, we had to resolve ourselves to build our lives on the rock in those times. And we totally recognize that, that in, in God's grace, he has gifted us this. And it's not the same for everyone. And we learned something of that in that we've had good friends recently go through a complete roller coaster of a ride where everything is thrown up in the air. But it's God that sustains them. Because they have built their life on the rock and not the sand. And it's so often in the face of suffering and pain that the true test of your faith really comes. David in the Old Testament knew something of this. His own son, Absalom, is going out and he's hunting him down, essentially to kill him. Your own son is coming to kill you. And David flees David runs away from his own son and his armies. And David has his own men with him, but he flees. And he writes this in Psalm 3. This is what he says. I lie down and sleep. I wake again because the Lord sustains me. I lie down and sleep. I wake again because the Lord sustains me. I mean, I lose sleep over all sorts of things. (laughs) but when your own son is coming out to kill you and he is able to lie down and sleep, there's a person who's built their house on the rock. Job is another character. He loses everything. He loses his possessions, his family, his health. He loses everything. But at the end of it all, he says, Blessed be the name of the Lord. Job knew he'd been created by God for God. And that was where he was going to find ultimate security. Ultimate hope. Ultimate peace. So expect the storms, but know that if you've built your house on the rock, the Lord will sustain you. And then there's there's a moment where you can actually rejoice in God for who he is. You can know that God is with you in those moments and it can be hard to say blessed be the name of the Lord but there's a moment where you can do that because you know God is with you the Jesus that we serve it says in Hebrews he is unable he's not unable to sympathize with your weaknesses he went through every temptation He knows what you're going through. And he doesn't just observe from a distance. He is there with you, carrying you. And that is an amazing feat of his grace and his mercy. That he would come in your suffering, in your pain, in your grief, in your disillusionment, in your confusion about what is going on. And Jesus, I am with you. I am with you to the very end of the age. That's what he says to the disciples. I am with you. So, we're to know the sand. We're to expect the storm, but we are to rejoice in God because he is with us. And so, there are steps we can take to build the house on the rock. We're firstly to, to hear the words of Jesus. He says, Therefore, anyone who hears these words of mine, that's what he says. Anyone who hears these words of mine, we're to, expose ourselves to the word of God to build your life on the rock is to expose yourself to the words of Jesus that's what he says, therefore hear the words of mine we're to do that we're to read the Bible or we're to listen to it or some way, I don't care how you do it you to expose yourself to the word of God, to the words of Jesus you to cut the noise out and fix your eyes on him when you do that, you aren't just reading or listening to an interesting book. The words of God can be heard, and they bring revelation. Revelation and understanding of who God is, his character, his nature, his plans, and then how we fit into that incredible story. It gives us perspective. gives us hope. It gives us life. But secondly, Jesus says, and here's the clincher, you are to put them into practice. You're to hear the words of mine, and then you're to put them into practice. And if you read the Sermon on the Mount, which is the last bit, man, there is some stuff to do. We're to put them into practice. We've got to obey him. We have to obey the words that he says. You see the need. You don't just walk by. You meet people where they're at. Your life isn't your own. It's his. And we do what he says. And it's as simple as that. You know, when the disciples came, he said, what's the most important command? He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your strength and all your mind, and love your neighbor. It sounds complicated when you think of all the things he says in the Sermon on the Mount, but he says, actually, these are the things you're to do. You're to love me and you're to serve people. That's what it means to build your life on the rock. That's what it means to put your faith into practice. And we do that because he has loved us generously. I read a tweet yesterday from Tim Keller. You can love generously if you've been generously loved. We do it in response to his love and his grace towards us. I'm going to invite the band up because we're going to to respond. And as I've been preparing this, I've been living with this passage for a a few months. uh, And... Questioning myself, am I really building my life on the rock? What areas of sand are there in my life that I need to give to him? Am I really fully devoted to him, or am I just a Sunday Christian who puts on a brave face and turns up and speaks? What am I building on? What is the life that I'm building on? What are the foundations? Perhaps it's your, your first time to church, or it's your first time to city church, Or perhaps you think your life is beyond repair. Perhaps you think it's like that tower, that leaning tower of Pisa, where it's just inevitable, it's just going to fall, and there's no hope for it being restored. No amount of underpinning is going to sort it. You need to hear this this morning, that there's no amount of mess, no amount of guilt, No amount of shame that is too much for God to come and bring full restoration. It's not just going to prop it up and help you out for the next few years. The invitation is that he's going to bring full restoration. He says, I'm making all things new. I'm going to create in you a clean heart. That's the promise that God comes. And so you might be here for the first time. Perhaps you're not a Christian this morning. The invitation is there for you. You can build your life on the rock this morning. Or you can come back to him and say, do you know what? I recognize my sin and my need for you, and I want to build my life on the rock this morning. There's an invitation for you. But secondly, some of you are in the storm. You just need someone to pray with you, to keep going, to keep building on the rock, to keep trusting in him. We want to give time for you to respond to that. There's this wonderful story about a man called Horatio Spafford. What a name. And uh, he lived in Chicago in the 19th century and he was a lawyer and a businessman, invested in property. He had five children. He lost his first son at two years old and died. He then the great fire of Chicago happened at the end of the 19th century, burned up the whole city, he lost everything. So he sends his wife and his four daughters across the Atlantic to start a new life in Europe. And as they're traveling across the ocean, the ship hits another vessel, hits another boat, and he loses all four daughters, all of them gone. His wife stays alive, reaches Europe, She sends a telegram just saying, saved alone. And so he gets on the boat, travels across, and as he's traveling, he writes this hymn.